Hello, you're listening to Careers Talk with me, Kerry Eustace. And for those of you who are graduating this year, we'd just like to say congratulations. But having graduated, are you now wishing you'd spent a bit more time with your uni careers advisor and a little less with the student union bar? We ran a small poll on the careers site this week, which, as we go to pod, finds that 69% of you didn't feel that you'd made the most of your university career service. So today we'll be asking how to make the most of this advice and the good news is if you've already left, don't worry, it's not too late. Plus, are the latest generation of graduates really choosing full-time motherhood over high-flying careers? And why do so many Brits dream of being astronauts? (laughs) But before we launch into all that, I want to introduce you to Nikki Osman a class of 2009 history grad from the University of Nottingham and budding journalist. And she's going to be our grad guest for today's pod. If you fancy coming in to do the same, you can email us at careers at guardian.co.uk or post a message in the forum. Hello, Nikki. Hello. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing since you graduated last year. Well, I graduated in the class of 2009 doing history. I was lucky enough to secure a temporary contract in a publishing company as an editorial assistant for 10 weeks. So having completed that, I began to realise that journalism was something that I was very interested in. And I've since spent a year completing various work experience placements to try and earn myself a place on a master's course, which I've now done. So I'll be starting that in September. I spent six months working for an ethical lifestyle magazine called Recognise, which I really, really enjoyed. And since then, I've been working on various freelance projects. I've started to pitch my work And um, I'm hoping that after I finish my master's course, I will secure a full-time in-house editorial position. Well, I hope so too. It sounds like you've been really proactive and busy, so you've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm sure now that journalism is something that I'd like to do. News jam time now, and I'm joined as always by our fearless careers crusaders, Harriet Minter and Ali White. But Nikki, our budding journal in residence, is going to start us off with her story. Take it away, Nikki. Well, I'm just going to talk for a minute about the graduate tax story. This is uh, one of the ideas being floated by Vince Cable to fund higher education in the event of university cutbacks. The idea is that future payments will be tied to earnings so that higher earning graduates will end up paying more for their degrees than lower earning graduates. Personally, I think it's a good idea in theory and it's had backing from the National Union of Students. I think a really interesting point that they might need to think about is whether it will encourage graduates to go abroad after their education, whether they um, it might encourage a generation of future tax evaders. <laughs> so, Yeah, well, I was wondering whether it was going to change the priorities of salaries, you know, whether that was going to still be a priority, whether some graduates thinking, yeah, I want a big salary, or whether they're now going to think my salary is going to be affected by how much tax I'll have to pay to you know, make up for the fees. What do you think? Do you think people are still going to go for those high-earning jobs? I just don't know because I think when you're doing your A-levels, you just think about what you want to do because I always just thought when I started earning money, the debt would just vanish. I think <laughs> I think it's kind of hard when you're like quite young to get a grasp of quite how much it might hang over you. And I wonder if it'll maybe bring in people to careers that are already massively oversubscribed, but you don't earn very much. I'm thinking journalism and broadcasting and things like that. And they're already massively oversubscribed and have lots and lots of graduates leaving every year wanting to go into them. And I wonder if maybe there are now people thinking, well, I could be a lawyer, I could be a journalist. And actually, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be earning the same amount. 
because I'm going to be paying extra tax. Um, there was actually some really interesting data on the Guardian website about uh, what universities are most likely to lead to employment, so the percentage of students that go into jobs. So with that being released, and maybe people will be thinking more, which university? Where am I going to go? It's good. It's interesting stuff. <laughs> and it kind of leads on actually to what I'm going to talk about this week, which is not a rise in women jacking in their jobs to become housewives but in fact a rise in articles about women jacking in their jobs to become housewives um this was started last week by the times saturday magazine i think it was where they rounded up six women all in their early to mid 20s who had given up their jobs having done a degree and then had a career and they dressed them in you know beautiful designer clothes and high heels and asked them why they thought motherhood was a true vacation obviously the Daily Mail has picked up on this in style <laughs> and has rounded up its own graduates who it then dressed in 1950s style housewife dresses complete with feather dusters. I am quite an old school feminist and I slightly feel that if you're going to go do a degree and go and have a career, women, this is still too early on in the feminism movement for you to be throwing it all away. Um, it was only like 1970s when women actually could buy their own houses without having to have their father sign off on the mortgage. You know, it's that that close to us and so I'm slightly disheartened by these stories appearing in the press where they are saying you know look at all these women who could have had it all but actually they're so much happier staying at home with babies and I'm sorry to rant about it because obviously the point of feminism is that everyone should choose their own way but I just think if people pay so much money for these university courses and now they've just given it up and it makes me angry. Sorry. Oh, I do understand how you feel. I'm slightly less angry than Harriet. Um, because I do, yeah, it is your choice. And that's something that the women who were interviewed for the feature sort of said. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is if this is a genuine trend, is in a few years' time, are we going to see a boom in sort of graduates that took a massive career break and now want to get back into the sector who are really going to struggle having no work mm. experience? So are we going to see a reverse, you know, of where nowadays everybody waits has their career, but now will it be that they have their babies and then have their career? I um, wonder as well if, if people are struggling to get into the market, whether they're going to you know, move this decision forward as well. So some, some interesting things going to come up there. Yeah, it's my little rant for the day. <laughs> Ali, have you got a rant or a story for us? Oh, well, I thought it was a rant to start with. I read this headline <laughs> and it was... Um, Employers being urged by Norman Baker, who was a transport minister, to allow staff to work one day a fortnight from home. Part of his brief as a transport minister is actually to encourage you not to travel. So I was like, well, hang on. He's saying, <laughs> stop clogging up the trains, you know, or what, what benefit is this to me? But having read a bit more about it, it is quite good because I worked one day at home a week and I have a trans season ticket and I used to get so fed up that I'm still paying the season ticket price but only travelling four days a week. But he's saying that there should be um, train companies actually encouraged to overhaul season how the season tickets are sold, so perhaps sell them in batches rather than just the one season ticket with the, the, the discount for people. And, you know, some of his words to the Telegraph sound fantastic. He's like, you know, the initiatives he's working on will do away with rush hour. And I was like, oh, can, do can away you imagine? With rush hour. <laughs> mm. You know, by reducing demand or reduce congestion, pollution and stress. And, you know, he says, why do we all hit the road or rail at the same time every morning? You know, but I think a lot of us say it's not up to us. It's, you know, we'd like to all be on flexi time, but it's employers. So I think this is where the change is going to have to come. Did they give any guidance on how working one day at home is going to be worthwhile in terms of careers or in terms of for a business? Because that's the important thing, even though they've got this goal in in mind that they're going to get rid of rush hour, 
it's got to benefit the people who who stay at home or the the people that they work for surely yeah they do address it in the article um and what he says is um that homeworking can do wonders for work-life balance so an example he gives is if you drop the children at school work in the office 9 30 till 2 go and pick them up and then work a couple more hours from home you know then it's a benefit to everyone. But of course, not everyone can work from home. I think there's some pretty obvious examples of you can't have your doctor working from home or so, or your airline pilot, perhaps. So so it might not suit everyone, but encouraging words. Talking of people who can't work from home, um, I've picked out a a really great headline. (laughs) The majority of Brits would like to work as an astronaut. (laughs) Astronaut. An astronaut. I love this. 69% of people surveyed by higher scores, which is a website where you can rate recruitment agencies, um, said that their dream job would be to be an astronaut. Um, It's a fascinating list of jobs that people have picked out. astronaut at the top we've also got pilot Ali mentioned we've got journalist tv presenter detective when I was looking through this I was thinking is these people just been watching sort of Top Gun and yeah. Armageddon <laughs> also detective <laughs> I love that one yeah, like, detective. police officer detective, detective. <laughs> I wonder if these people are aware now to get into the police force you have to do that year of unpaid training <laughs> I just want to go straight in as a detective CSI I think yeah, tv and video um, you know film can have a real big impact like wasn't it a few years ago that CSI made like lots of forensic scientists out of you know people looking for jobs and I was like it's quite an interesting effect that's probably a good thing though because mm. that's probably like stem sector isn't it science yeah. technology engineering mm. maths maybe you know being an astronaut <laughs> is there is there a skills gap for astronauts do you know what it's really tough as you'd expect to become an astronaut <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> have you been looking into it <laughs> well we had a blog on the site recently from somebody who did, uh, I think they were working as an engineer in the forces and it took them 12 years Whoa. to become an astronaut trainer they lit they and they those 12 years were spent becoming an astronaut sort of training networking phd and sadly <laughs> as well for these people i sort of put it into the job site and that we haven't got any astronaut positions free at the moment <laughs> on guardian jobs however there's a site called spacecareers.com <laughs> and uh, just some of the <laughs> the roles that are on there there's an engineer for the guy's space mission development in the netherlands needed if you've got the skills for that one um or an internship in precise orbit determination technique uh you know specific skills but just before we round up, what would you say your dream jobs are? Ooh. <laughs> uh, cake maker. Oh, oh nice. that's or not cake, on the list. Cake decorator as well. Yeah, got some good cupcakes in the canteen at the moment. They've inspired me. <laughs> I did go through a long stage of wanting to be a hostage negotiator. <laughs> And that was actually based on the film Proof of Life. So I think your film choice can influence your career choice. I quite like to be a film director, but I don't know if I could control all those people. I think you could. Nikki, what's your dream job? Well, too many hours spent 24 led me to apply for MI6 immediately upon graduating. Wow. Which is good. Um, Actually, I know quite a few people who did the same thing after trying to get past the first stage which was learning a cover story I couldn't even memorize the facts and repeat them back so that didn't go very well for me (laughs) never mind because always being an astronaut yeah we'll give that a go (laughs) now last week Jonathan Black director of the careers service of Oxford University responded to the new already infamous statistics released by the association of graduate recruiters by saying Rather than being distracted by talk of high numbers of applicants per place, 
the focus needs to be on equipping graduates to take on the rising number of vacancies. So do you feel equipped to tackle the rising number of vacancies? Are you prepared to beat off competition from the, on average, 70 other graduates potentially going for the same role as you? To discuss just those issues, we have Jonathan Black himself here in the studio now, along with Adam Parker, a Uni of Sussex class of 2010, English literature and film theory grad and junior researcher at children's TV channel Nickelodeon. And of course, our grad in residence, Nikki. Um, can we start off, Adam and Nikki, you telling us about how you used your career service and what it was like. Adam, do you want to go first? Well, yes. Um, basically, um, I was already, I had a lot of irons in the fire and um, I'd had a bit of work experience and stuff. So my interaction with the career service was more to um, enhance and sort of uh, help them help me sort my CV out and also see whether they thought that the strategy I had to sort of get into work was the right one and... Um, and yeah, they were just very supportive in me looking for work experience placements and uh, constantly updating me on what opportunities they had uh, within television and, and such. So I dipped my toe in and out of the career centre, but always found them sort of very helpful. Yeah, and did they run events as well that you attended that helped you sort of Absolutely. make contacts? Absolutely, they ran um, workshops and sort of um, media fairs and stuff that sort of in cooperation with local internship programmes in Brighton and the Sussex area, um, and were constantly promoting them and, and giving us a chance to go there and meet people who worked in the media, worked in television, production companies, and all of those people together sort of give you feedback on where you are and where you need to be going, so... They were helpful. They were very helpful. Nikki, how about you? How did you use your career service? My experience is quite similar to Adam's, actually, in the fact that I found that I had to be very proactive with it. I used it for um, getting some advice on my CV. They helped me rearrange things. They also helped me write some cover letters for work experience placements and things like that. But I found, personally, because I knew that I wanted to get into journalism, I found it easier to use the Career Centre for resources. Like, I used the Ben's Media Directory to get the names of various employers that I wanted to contact. But from talking to people and my friends, I've sort of gathered that the career services are very useful if you know what you want to do. But if you don't know what you want to do, they're not always that helpful. I've got a friend who was studying for a law degree and she actually went to her careers advice service and said, look, I'm doing a law degree, but I don't actually want to be a lawyer. What kind of advice can you give me? And she left there feeling quite disheartened. They didn't offer her much apart from saying that she should look into accountancy which was something she wasn't interested in. So I think in terms of providing advice to people who aren't quite sure what they want to be doing I'm not sure that careers advice centres are always hitting the mark. Jonathan do you want to respond to that? <clears throat> well it's interesting we find about a third of the students are in that position that they don't know what they want to do or they've started one thing or they turn up and they say I'm doing chemistry and I don't know what to do with it and that's about a third so people like your friend are really quite typical then there's about a quarter who say I do know what I want to do but I know I need more skills in this that or the other and then there's about 40 um, percent who say I know all that just point me at the jobs I want to start applying for things and I think people go around this circle they look at the jobs and say actually I don't fancy that anymore now where do I start again um, you, your friend clearly had a bad experience uh, to a certain extent that depends on the individual careers advisor Do you 
feel that students make the most of their career service? I mean, obviously, Nikki and Adam went and used it, but we did a little poll on our site and it found that a lot of people wished that they had used it more. Is that typical of your experience? Uh, yes. And if you talk to my generation, everybody I talk to, especially at management level in universities, say, I never went near the careers service. And he said, well, no, nor did I, actually. So I think things have come on a lot in uh, quite a lot of years. People do use career service without realising it. I've had people say, oh, I never go near it, but I did go to that law fair. And you say, well, who do you think organised that then? Oh, all right. Well, well, and I don't mind. I don't want them coming up to a building. And indeed, we're doing less and less in our own building and much more on the web because people, you know, use career stuff at two o'clock in the morning or generally before they're going home to see their parents. So <laughs> using the service has changed completely in what we mean. Coming up to actually sit down and look at CVs and meet people has, has, is dropping dramatically. Earlier on in the show, I mentioned that if you have already graduated, it's not too late to take advantage of your career service. Um, is that true? <laughs> I hope so. It's completely true. I mean, we changed the rules recently uh, to be we support you for life. I hope there won't be so much support by the time you're 40 or 50. That you, but we do see people of that age. But the deal is you need to come back and help mentor students and give back something, not money, but to give back time. You might offer an internship, especially if you're working abroad. You might offer mentoring for students. So that's how we start to build that, that relationship. Is that sort of ongoing service typical of other services? Yes. yes. I mean, uh, most universities give at least four or five years, but many give for life. Okay. I wanted to ask you about something a little bit different. Um, okay. In response to the ADR survey that mm. came out, the government sort of wrote to universities and said that they want them to issue statements about what help they offer to improve graduates' employability. Is that uh, something that university careers services are, are responsible for? Is that something that the courses are going to be responsible for? And what do we think about that? Is that going to help? Well, I'll start. Uh, <laughs> we're writing it uh, as the careers service, um, passing it past our colleagues. But to a certain extent, the academics are going to be indifferent about what we write. I mean, a good chunk of our academics say, all I'm responsible for is teaching the students, getting them through exams, and that's it. What happens after that, don't mind. Other academics say, I am interested in where they go, but generally they leave it up to us to write it. And I think, I was drafting ours the other day, I think a lot of it is about understanding within the course the transferable skills you're developing you know, almost osmotically. You don't have classes off. Now we're going to teach you how to be an employee. Because we could do that in about three afternoons, and that's not really a degree, is it? Adam, do you think these statements are a good idea? Um, I think they're a good idea. Um, I'd be quite sceptical, because I think universities have become very good at manipulating, you know, for their own sort of promotion, what they do and what they don't do, and, and you know, to make it all look good in the prospectus. Um, but if, maybe if there was a set standard, a, a, a quota to reach, or, or something like that, that was, you know, across the board then I think that may be useful. So guidelines issued for what you, what level you need to prepare people to? Absolutely, rather than, because otherwise it's going to be different and, and people will be doing it in different ways. And Nikki? Well, I think it's really interesting what Jonathan was saying about transferable skills. Because when I was at university, I was a, obviously a history graduate, so I had skills in things like research, um, forming an argument, and interest in current affairs. And retrospectively, I can see now that I'm applying those skills to journalism. But if someone had helped me realise that those were going to be the transferable skills I was going to use that would have been really useful so I think um, more course specific careers advice would be really really helpful to people to have someone who can sit you down and talk you through the skills that you're already using within your course and help you apply that to your future career. How can you identify your transferable skills I mean is it difficult how do you help people with that Jonathan? 
Well, this is the classic question about employability. I mean, we used, in our survey of employers, which asked how employable do you think Oxford students are relative to others, we took the CBI's measures of employability that they brought out in their Future Fit publication about 15 months ago, which have eight measures. And what I would do is say to a student, write down inventory all the things you've been doing at school, probably in sixth form and at university. And, you know, you have to think really widely particularly around what you've achieved and what you're responsible for. And it doesn't matter if it's the Tiddlywinks Club or if it's rowing or if it's rugby or choir or music or church. It doesn't matter if you've achieved some stuff, as well as the things you've done at, in lectures or writing essays, as you say, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, whatever. So it's thinking through, inventorying what you've done and think putting it against the sort of skills that you would need in, let's say, journalism or engineering or medicine or whatever it may be. And I think if you're struggling to articulate exactly what you think your skills are, hit Google students because you put in there transferable skills. I did it this morning, (laughs) graduate, and put your course title. Many universities have put into place exactly what you're going to be taking on to uh, sort of the vocational arena. That's really good advice. And if you want to find out what employers want, of course, you can just look at a job specification and pick out some of the skills that they identify there as well, can't you? And better than that, you can go and talk to employers. I mean, that's what the careers fairs are about. They're not just to pick up brochures and uh, paper and stationery and uh, give away speakers for iPods and stuff. (laughs) It is actually to say, so what do you look for? Because some employers won't care about communication skills because it's not the right sort of job or they won't care about teamwork or whatever it may be. Uh, But it's finding out from them in an information interview what it is they're looking for so you can then bring that out. Or you can say, I'm missing something here. I need to go and get involved in something to gain these skills or to develop some skills. Okay. Just to revisit a point that sort of Jonathan touched on earlier, do we think that universities, course leaders, work closely enough with university career services to help graduates? Because, Adam, I know you had an experience where you didn't feel so, did you? Yeah, um, I think there's sort of a huge gulf between the two, or certainly my experience at Sussex. Um, there was a time when I was applying for a placement at the BBC, um, and I thought, right, I'll go through the correct channels because it was going to interfere with my study. I contacted my school, uh, the English school, who then put me on to a committee <laughs> that deal with the mitigating circumstances and, and stuff like that. And basically, I got an email back saying, no, we're not going to facilitate this in any way. If anything's late or, you know, not up to standard, then w- there's no leeway. That we're not going to help you at all. And that's really discouraging because you're sort of then stuck within this conflict of, well... The university's making it vocational versus sort of academic when really it should be sort of in unison together. Yeah, and you did quite a lot, didn't you, to sort of convince them of the benefit this was going to have to you? Yeah, I I mean, that's actually when I called upon the Careers Centre and I sort of said, what am I supposed to do? And they said, well, look, if you do get this placement, then we'll be here to sort of fight your corner. And actually, I didn't get that BBC placement. It's all very sad. But when I got this Nickelodeon one, it was in my first four weeks of my third year. And I sort of had the same sort of dilemma, but I thought, right, actually, I'm going to take this placement. And um, I had to spend a lot of weekends and stuff catching up, but it led to a job. So, Nikki, how about you? Do you think there's a disconnect there between uh, courses and careers advice? Firstly, from my own personal experience, I know quite a few people who are in sandwich courses and vocational courses who, like Adam was saying, actually formed contacts with employers during their sandwich year which actually led to graduate employment afterwards, which I think speaks volumes for the vocational system, first of all. But also I've been looking into some of the foreign models. To start with, the Canadian 
system is much more comprehensive than British and American universities, but they also have chances to put their degree into practice. They're encouraged from day one to go after work experience and incorporate that into their degree, which has been really beneficial. I've been looking at the university rankings and they tend to have very high student satisfaction and high graduate employment. There's also something I was reading the other day in the Graduate Market Trends magazine, which is a publication which is produced by the Higher Education Career Service Unit. And in response, this is a case study about Australia. And in response to employee dissatisfaction with graduate preparedness for work, they've actually introduced a new scheme called Work Integrated Learning Scheme, whereby students are actually encouraged throughout their degrees to go after work experience placements. And that's actually included in the undergraduate qualification. Uh, so if our university system can take a leaf out of the Australian book, then I think that our current high rate of graduate unemployment might have an effect on that. Jonathan, what do you think? You kind of touched on... No, I like that, because yeah? it's, it's the show me, don't tell me. I don't want to go to a presentation by somebody in a hotel, you know, whether it's a, a city firm or something. I want to go out and actually try it out for a couple of weeks. And, and indeed, the employers like that as well, because it's, it's an enhanced interview in a way. How we do it, whether it's formalised or sort of informal, is going to depend on how um, open the academics are and the curriculum is to, to fitting that in. How do we persuade the historians that we want these students to be able to go off and do some work experience? Well, I suppose by demonstrating the benefit. I just wanted to ask on that point, John, how do you, as a careers advisor, how do you balance this need between, are we pushing students more towards doing vocational degrees? Are we going to lose that kind of three years of just studying for the sake of studying? And how do you balance that with expensive degrees which they're going to have to pay for at the end of? Yeah, that's a big issue that's coming our way with student fees obviously and especially first generation students where it's not necessarily the student it's the parents saying but what's Mary going to do with maths you know if they do three years of theoretical maths what on earth are they going to do and have a debt of what's the average debt's about 23,000 that people leave university with at the moment what are they going to do with it so demonstrate show me how you know Mary's going to pay that back um that is a challenge for us. But I think we just have to demonstrate that, you know, people can read English literature and, and get a job at Nickelodeon or whatever. Um, the debates at the moment are quite interesting about whether it's going to be a graduate tax or a increased fees or some other way. I do think graduates need to take some responsibility as well. Essentially, we are dealing with adults here and they need to sort of make the most of their opportunities at university. Um, there's so many societies and sports clubs and, and stuff like that. And just by getting involved in that, I mean... I ran the radio station down at the University of Sussex and that helped me deal with team management, compliance and little things like that, which, you know, I've carried on. And, you know, back to what you were saying about how often students use these career centres, I remember in the in the final term there was suddenly a mad rush for everyone to get there, go there, get their CVs looked at and stuff and sort of say, oh, what do I do now? Well, they're there for three years you know, they've got these lovely big offices. They're always on campus in, in some capacity. Make the most of it and also, you know, take take some responsibility as well rather than just thinking, well, I've, I've done my degree and now the system's not taking me anywhere. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but sorry. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my rant. No, no, it's a good rant. And indeed, the International Student Barometer shows that 20% of international students who come to this country expect their university to get them a job. I mean, to which my answer is, well, I'll get you a job, but you probably won't like it very much. <laughs> so, I mean, ideally, we'd see them start thinking about it towards the end of your first year, may, but seriously get into it in your second or penultimate year. 
and go to some fairs and go to things and start to get your CV sorted out. And there's so many places online to get to get CV advice. I mean, it's Guardian, Indeed, <laughs> us. I do wonder why we bother doing half this stuff because with prospects.ac.uk and with Guardian and with many other sites, there's enough advice out there. In the end, it's worth talking to somebody about it. It sort of remi- um, basically whilst I was at the University of Sussex. Um, I was a guinea pig for this pilot scheme called PebblePad, um, which is essentially sort of a social networking meets a CV. Basically on it, you upload your photo, so make sure it's a good one. Put on there your transferable skills and your past experience. And what the idea of it is, is it fills sort of the middle ground between a CV and an actual interview. They can click on that and they get to learn a bit more about you a bit more about who the real Adam Parker is, not just sort of a aerial font 12 at the top of the page. Um, Can I just ask for a quick piece of advice on um, employer fairs? Because I know that careers departments are always pushing them and I went to a few as a student and I just did not know what to do. And I sort of wandered around aimlessly and said hello to a few people and I suspect did not make the most of them at all. Are there any good tips for what students can do when you're at an employer fair? Well, actually, the first thing is most careers services run how to make the most out of the fair session for an hour you know a week or two before so that's quite a good place to start and then yes prepare what you want to go in and talk about and ask your I mean classic questions like what's a day in a life of like what would I do what's the progression what's the career about in other words it's not the questions that you can get out of the brochure you're meeting people to see would I like these sort of people one issue we're always up against is and we we've often thought of this as our tagline we are not your school's career service because so many people have had a bad experience at their school that it's a part-time job of one of the teachers and they're not really experienced and they haven't got time and they run one fair a year. And, you know, we're not, the, we're not there, as, uh, as Adam was saying. We're there full-time. There's, you know, 10 or 20 people there. There are all these fairs, lots of resources, so go out and use them. Um, we just had some advice about careers fairs. Can we go around and maybe share some tips on how to make the most of your career service apart from careers fairs? Um, Nikki, have you got any tips? I think you just have to really, like Adam was saying, be really, really proactive, get involved. They're not going to come to you. You need to be the one to go out there, make use of their resources, their books, go to some workshops and get some advice on your CV. And just, yeah, you're only there for three years. So just make the most of it while you're there. Adam? I, I literally think <laughs> Nikki's been reading my piece of paper. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, that that's exactly it. You've got to, you've got to make the most of it. It's there. And they've got so many resources not just and they've got money to if this is a course that will enhance your employability um maybe we could come to a compromise in helping funding you go to this and and do this but students just don't know because they don't look and they don't ask but yes <laughs> get into the career center definitely it's good news for you isn't it uh, it's fantastic <laughs> um i mean uh, what can i add to that except to pick up one of adam's earlier points which is university is a transitionary time from school into the world of work and that's what I use the career service for to go and check that what you've done has got that if you like professional approach you know your CV really does need to be in grammatical English it's it's not text speak anymore it's not Facebook so that's what I'd use them for. Thanks to Adam Parker and Jonathan Black and of course our grad in residence Nikki. Time for the jobs top 10 now and as usual the Guardian jobs team have sent someone to help. Yusuf Bernard is here to help Ali reveal the chart. In at 10 it's a learning officer with the Vindeloda Trust. 9 is a producer for the National Prison Radio Service. And 8 is a neighbourhood housing officer with Network Solutions. We have an independent chair at Harrow Council at 7. While Providence Row Housing needs a link worker at 6. 5 is a consultant in medicine for the elderly at South Tees Hospital. 
and it's a staff nurse in oncology for Cambridge University Hospitals at four. A national voice want a Southern Development Coordinator at three. While one from the top is an account manager for cancer research. But this week's good as gold job is a resource centre manager from Mencap. For more info, to apply or to find something completely different altogether, you can visit guardianjobs.co.uk. Nearly time for us to wrap up, but not before we tell you about what's coming up on the site next week. 20th of July, we've got flexi time. Does it work? The next day, 21st of July, a graduate guide to careers in TEFL. 22nd of July, what can I do with a degree in languages? And rounding up the week, 23rd of July, gap years and working holidays. Right, that's it for this week. Thanks very much to our guests, Jonathan Black and Adam Parker, Yusuf Bernard from Guardian Jobs, our lovely graduate-in-residence, Nikki Osman, and of course, Harriet Minter and Ali White. I'm Kerry Eustace. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.